notice that Blake, Blake always starts at the back of the auditorium and walks up the sermon. I don't know if it's something that helps him relax or something. I tried it. It still makes me nervous to be up here. Um, well, I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't consider myself a preacher. I have preached in the past, but so I'm, I'm just going to look at this as a, a big auditorium class, and if that's okay with all of you. And uh, what, you, what you see here, this, uh, this picture, is 92 Coolidge Drive uh, in Brewster, Texas, uh, not Brewster, Texas, Brewster, New York. Um, back when we lived there, I don't think they had street names. I think it was just, uh, it was kind of a, it's about 60 miles from New York City. Uh, it's, a, you know, you have Westchester County and then you have Putnam County and that's where we were living. My son was born when we were living at this house. And uh, something that has to do with the lesson, you know, uh, a certain place in that yard is why I'm doing this. But, um, you know, this is, this is when, when we lived in Tugnetta Lake, uh, you know, which was kind of a, uh, all the houses were, were kind of small. They were made for summer homes. And, uh, and I think this is where I first started walking on a regular basis. Uh, my son would ride on my back in one of those backpack things and pull my hair, and I blame him for not having any, <laughs> though that didn't have anything to do with it, I'm sure. And um, if you went down this street, you know, just to kind of, give you some perspective, Brewster's at the end of the commuter line. And if you remember back in the 60s, uh, that girl, uh, you know, Marlo Thomas, uh, Brewster was where her parents lived. Uh, it's also, you know, if you went down this street about a half a mile, and uh, well, I guess it would be this way <laughs> for you, um, and uh, you turn to the left, right there on the corner is where uh, Lady Gail Carson Levine uh, uh, lives, who wrote uh, Ella Enchanted, uh, a Newbery uh, award-winning book. Um, but in the, you know, it's also where another Gail came uh, came from, Gail Borden, uh, who was in, involved in Texas history. Uh, he was the one who came with Stephen F. Austin. He he was a surveyor and an inventor, and he. Uh, he surveyed the beginning of Houston and Galveston back in the 1820s, and uh, and then he came back up to the north, and that's where he started, uh, you know, canned milk, sweetened canned milk, you know, which we still have, and uh, you know, Brewster was where the the factory uh, was. Um, it's also uh, where Fanny J. Crosby uh, grew up as a girl. Uh, she wasn't born blind. She uh, lost her sight because of a charlatan doctor who had, had her parents put these hot poultices on her, on her uh, eyes and blinded her, but she wrote over 3,000 songs during her lifetime. And nearby, not far from this place here, uh, was, uh, uh, is the Presbyterian Church. It, you know, it still doesn't, it doesn't have electricity or anything, um, but uh, where she would, attended when she was a, when she was a child. So a lot of things, we enjoyed living in this, uh, this area. Um, but in that front yard, you know, next to where the fence was, I had a conversation with someone. And um, a 
failure, I guess you could say, occurred in this, uh, in this place. Got to remember to turn this on. And um, a failure in not having a good answer uh, for someone. I got into a conversation with a, a neighbor who was uh, into transcendental meditation. Transcendental meditation, the Maharishi Yogi, uh, was a real big thing uh, back in the 70s. Uh, the Beatles uh, went to, to see him, and especially John and George uh, of the Beatles uh, got into that. And uh, he, he had told me, you know, we sat in the, stood in the front yard, and he told me about his, uh, his beliefs and what he was learning and all of that. And then he turned and he had this, you know, he's curious or polite question. He said, well, tell me what's central about Christianity, a really great opportunity to, to teach him on some things. And so I gave him an answer, you know, what, what would you say is central uh, to life in Christ? And I did not give a good answer uh, to it. I, you know, I, I can always ramble and, and say something, but I wasn't getting at the answer. And I knew it, and I don't know if he knew it or not, or whether he was even listening that much. But I was, I was preaching at that time in, in Carmel, New York, nearby there. And um, I could have taught him how to be saved, but that wasn't really what he was asking. He was asking a more general question. His question was, deeper and I didn't know it. I just did not know what to say uh, to him. And probably all of you would have done a much better job at it than, than I did. Um, but someone after that recommended a book to me, uh, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Uh, he's a British professor and uh, in it I came across a passage that uh, has been important to me that answers that question uh, in one of the best ways. And it's kind of in an obscure uh, part of the Bible. Uh, it's not in the New Testament. It's, it's in Jeremiah 9. And let's look, to, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Jeremiah 9. Some of this I'm going to have, but, you know, a whole chapter, you can't, <laughs> you can't uh, uh, have that on, on a slide. So, uh, but really, it starts out as a lament uh, over Judah and how Judah is. You know, he says, Oh, that my head were, were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the desert a wayfarer's lodging place, that I, could leave, uh, I might leave my people and go from them. For all of them are adulterers, an assembly, treacherous men and they bend their tongues like their like their bow lies and not truth prevail in the land for they proceed from evil to evil and they do not know me declares the Lord and he goes on you know in verses uh, in verse 9 for example he says shall I not punish them for these things declares the Lord on a nation such as this shall I not avenge and if you go over to verse 19 down through 21 for a voice of wailing is heard from Zion. How are we ruined? We are put to great shame, for we have left the land because they have cast down our dwelling. And it goes on and he says, you know, the women need to learn to weep and teach, teach their, their daughters to mourn and, and to cry in the streets. And so in the middle of all this, 
in verses 23 and 24, he, he speaks of some things that are, um, that are kind of key. Um, the rest of the chapter is, you know, even after that, is, is a, uh, it, it is difficult and without hope. You know, bad things are going to be coming on this nation. And, but, but there were still some good people. There's always a remnant. You know, throughout the Old Testament, we see a remnant of people who are uh, going to stay faithful. And he has a message for them. All the people of Judah and Simeon and Benjamin that still remained uh, as uh, called Judah, but they, they were those three tribes. But they had a message, and he had a message for them. And I'd like for you to look at this, at this passage. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. Maybe I should read it from there. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Now, the first thing that's interesting about these verses is this is what the Lord says. Three times in this passage, you have God saying, I'm saying this. It like bookends. You know, this is what the Lord says, and then at the very end declares the Lord. And in the middle of it, I am the Lord, and then he, he says some things about it. So the first thing um, in this get to my, um, is that God is the one who is specifically saying this. And you don't come across too many scriptures that in two verses, in 36 words, three times the word Yahweh is used in this. Um, and so the thing that he says next is to disengage from this. And that's why this is kind of a key verse. There's so much that is in this. It's spoken by God. He says, this is what I say. And he identifies himself in it. And then he tells us what we are to disconnect from in our lives. Um, we are not to emphasize or find our worth in these things. And what are these things? These are things we're not to boast in wisdom. We're not to boast in strength. We're not to boast in our riches. All of these things. And when you think about it, there is no... No, I mean, today, those are the three things that people still boast about. That's what they pour their energies into. That's what they say is important. You know, devote their whole lives to this. People who go to the gym, that's one kind of strength. Uh, people who try to get uh, political power, that's another kind of strength. There's all kinds of strength that people pursue, wisdom that people pursue, there's all kinds of riches that people pursue, different kinds of riches, collections and things like that. And this is how people find their importance. And Jesus, God is saying, don't do that. Don't do these things. These are the things that in this earth, on this earth, you are to disengage from. And then he says, but participate in this. But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he, knows, he understands and knows me. Now, the word understand is more of, you know, having knowledge. You know, uh, you've probably heard the saying that for, 
you know, it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert in anything. You know, like if you're going to play the piano or violin or, or get good at a sport, you have to devote that. And that's about a year and a half total time. And if all you do is go to church, and that's the only time that you're trying to understand God, that's 48 years. If you go to church every time the doors are open, 48 years. And so it's not going to be much of your life that's left after that. But he says, this is what you're to devote yourself to, understanding and knowing me. And the word knowing, yada, is the same word that is used to speak of Adam knew Eve. It speaks of intimacy. So it speaks of being close. It's not just learning facts about God and learning all that we can from God's word, but it is, you know, it's through prayer, it's for, through walking with him. All of those things are necessary parts of this. And so how, what do we need to understand? Well, that's the next thing he says. Uh, understand this about me, that, the, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. Or loving kindness is also a, a, a proper translation of this. And so these three things, kindness, justice, and righteousness, are things that we, are, you know, that, that God is, God God does in this word. You know, understand this about me. No matter how men interpret what God does on the earth, God does not do anything that is unkind or unjust or unfair or unrighteous. Those things come from others. What God exercises on this earth is loving kindness, justice, and righteousness. And we can be sure of that. And he, he's told us, he's, he said, this is what I do on this earth. And the last thing is that he says, live this if you want to please me. In these things I delight. So we are to be kind and just and righteous on the earth. And so you can see how much there is in this. You know, things that you're not supposed to be involved in, you know, riches, wisdom, you know, uh, strength. Don't devote your attention to that. Um, but what to devote? Devote ourselves to loving, you know, understanding God and, and knowing him, being in relationship with him. That he is the God that exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness, and he delights in those things. He makes it very clear. So you can see how much is in these two verses, these 36 Hebrew words uh, is said. So when you look at this, Kindness, justice, and righteousness is something that makes up goodness. That's how you define goodness. We're made in God's image. So, you know, all three of these things, in fact, everyone on this, on this earth is made in God's image. And if you think about it, these are things that everyone values. Being kind, being just, being righteous. But the tr problem is that people don't always emphasize all three of these at the same time. In fact, it doesn't take a lot of energy to emphasize two of these things and neglect uh, the other. Um, in our development as, as uh, human beings, you know, all of you know, like for example, justice. Justice has to do with fairness, equality, punishment for wrong, and reward for good. And children understand you know, justice. You, know, you don't have to teach a child about what's fair. Now, they may have a warped view of fair, 
but they know that if you, if you give one child something and you don't give the other child something, you know, that that's not fair. And you hear that, you know, when around, you know, when they're two and three years old, it's not fair. And you keep hearing it <laughs> during, during their childhood. That sense of justice is something that is in us. So that begins around toddler stage. Kindness is something that develops in about second and third grade. We start to understand that. Um, it's called the caring part of develop, you know, psychological development. And so when you, you know, that's when we start to want to be around someone who's good or nice. You know, why do you like that person? They're nice, which means that they're kind, they're, they're, they're good to me and things like that. The teacher's nice to me and, and, and all of those things. And so that's another principle that we le learn. And then when it comes to righteous, that is one that comes about fifth grade. If you've ever been, you know, if you've been driving and your kids are in the back seat, around fifth grade, you know what you start to hear? You're going over the speed limit. Um, my wife, one time, we were at, I was picking up something at Sam's right after church, and um, my granddaughter, uh, Ainsley, was with her. And, and so I went in, Marilyn just said, why don't you get in, run in, get that, and come out. And she was waiting for me, and Ainsley said, uh, it says no parking. And uh, Marilyn said, well, I'm just waiting here. Uh, you know, it, Pa will be out in just a minute. And, and, and she said, it says no parking here. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's, uh, but, but those are developmental things. All of these are natural things that develop in us. And it, it is around fifth grade, fifth and sixth grade, that kids start to go by the rules. After that, they ignore them. <laughs> but, but up until that time, they, they believe them. Uh, so, you know, kindness includes caring, loving, grace, tolerance, patience. Righteousness has to do with authority, with laws, with truth, things like that. Justice, you know, is so universal and so important to people. If you've ever noticed, every movie, uh, or not every movie, but every John Wayne movie at least, uh, had an element of justice. We, we always want the bad guy to get his. And it's satisfying. It's a deeply satisfying when, when we see someone get that, you know, what they deserve. And so these are things that God put in us. And this is a part of our God image. But as I said, people ignore this. And in the church, we've also seen this kind of growing up. And let, let me take you a little bit through history here. Justice and righteousness with the neglect of kindness. Um, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, these bottom two were emphasized a lot. Uh, you know, the Depression and World War II uh, had influenced the, those that grew up in it to kind of question kindness. You, if you talk to someone who, you know, in their 90s or, or so today, they, they oftentimes remember how everybody gave in to Hitler and gave in to Hitler. And, you know, uh, it, it wasn't until Churchill came. Neville Chamberlain was the one who was, all, well, let them have Czechoslovakia. Let them have, you know, you know Poland, you know, so on. And, and then it was too late. And so they didn't trust kindness. They, and so, but they emphasized justice, which is the exercise of power, and the rules. 
And a lot of us grew up in that kind of setting where that was, that was the emphasis. And so you had a God who was a strict God uh, in that. And it was a strict religion. Uh, a lot of talk about you know, fear and, and, and uh, hell and things like that. Uh, very structured worship, you know, two songs and a prayer, <laughs> or three songs and a prayer, uh, oftentimes. Um, <clears throat> and the person, you know, saw themselves as responsible for righteousness. They, you know, they had to, you know, you can do it, was, was the idea. And those, those who were teaching that were they, were, they were the ones that rebuilt America after World War II. They were the ones that went through the Depression, and they were the ones that fought in World War II, uh, called the greatest generation. Uh, very resourceful people, but a lot of times they didn't show an emotional love. They showed an agape love. I, I show my love by what I do, was, was what they said. And the idea that sin is sin, no matter what, and you've probably heard that, all sins are the same to God. You really think that? You think a, a lie to protect another person and a rape or a murder or a you know, abuse of a child, God sees as the same. It's a saying. It's not something that's backed up in the Bible. God doesn't like sin, but he does see the difference in sin. So a child growing up in this uh, was fearful. I had, had a friend who, when he was eight, he had uh, developed an ulcer, fear of going to hell. And so, you know, that, that generation, you know, wanted to let go of justice, which they saw as judgmentalism. And because of that, um, they wanted to embrace kindness, and, and that's what the next generation did. So <clears throat> they didn't hold on to justice. Instead, they saw God as a nice, caretaking God. They, he was supportive. You know, they, they wanted to emphasize support of one another, enthusiasm, grace. Uh, they're the ones that developed the... Uh, praise, worship, you know, kind of flattering God, uh, you know, oh God, you're so awesome, and things like that. And, uh, but they emphasized powerlessness. You know, we're powerless because their parents were so powerful. They, they said, I'm not like that. And, and so they rejected that. And so they had filial love, which is a, an affectionate love. And sin was a falling short of the glory of God, you know, of God's perfection. And so nobody all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Their parents like the verse, you know, everything is to be done decently and in order. But their favorite was sin is falling short, you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so this was, and again, they were neglecting that justice. And then their children who said, you know, that righteousness is the problem. Those rules, they exclude people that I like, and we are not powerless. We can do things. We can do things. And I'm sick of my parents who, who are always saying that, you know, are making plans and then not following through with it. And so they abandoned that and, and accepted a God of their own understanding and got into social justice and acceptance of other people no matter what. Worship is just whatever you want worship to be. Um, dialogue. Opinion is much more of what, uh, and sin is, is not helping the disadvantage. It's a social justice. And it continues on. If you go back, <clears throat> you know, the parents, uh, you know, of the, uh, the people who fought in World War II, 
they rejected righteousness. You know, the Roaring Twenties crowd. Uh, you know, the women's hair went from you know from down past their knees, you know, up to up to here, and their dresses went from their ankles up to up to their thighs. You know, and just and and we see this cycle that continues on, where people will not observe or or emphasize all three of those. And so to stand in the place where you can emphasize all three of these things means that you have to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. It takes everything to emphasize. And something that happens when you get into this place, of course you're pleasing to God, but you're going to really be annoying to just about everybody else because you're emphasizing something that uh, is not you know, is not pleasing to the world. You know, like if, if I'm emphasizing, you know, I'm around someone who emphasizes justice and righteousness, and I'm saying, they're going to see me weak because I'm emphasizing kindness. If I emphasize justice and they, they don't think that's an important thing, they're going to think I'm just a judgmental person. But to be like God and to exercise the things that God wants, we have to pour our energies into to this and be what God wants us to be and live like God wants us to be. Now this generation, the one, one that the, our younger people is, it is, it's moved back to justice and righteousness. Now, but it's not the righteousness of the Bible. So that's the influence that you have uh, on you right now. That righteousness is what society says is right. And and you know, if you go by the Bible, you're you know, you're you're being ignorant or something like that. So it's a lot of pressure that is on our younger people to to abandon what the Bible says. But the change that will take place is when you choose to say, my righteousness is going to be defined by the truth of the Bible, and that's a very very important thing. So when we when we go to to this, you know, whoever we are, no matter how old we are, we have to pour all of our energy <clears throat> into this. And so you can see that this, these verses, you know, is, are, this is how godly life can be lived in this world. And as an elder, I wanted to share this, this scripture with you uh, because of that, because it, I feel it is an important thing. And this is what I wish I had known in that front yard. I wish I had been able to say to this man, you know, as we were talking about, you know, who wanted a better world. Um, but it doesn't come from your thoughts. It doesn't come through meditation techniques or anything like that. It comes from abandoning the things of this world that the world emphasizes. It doesn't mean that we don't have any wisdom. It doesn't mean that we don't have any strength. It doesn't mean that we don't have any riches, but we don't boast in those things, but that we turn ourselves to God and loving God with all our heart and soul and strength and mind. And we transcend, truly transcend this world, not like transcendental, transcendental meditation. God who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness is the one that we should understand and know. I want to ask you to, to stand. You know, you're going to stand in just a minute anyway <laughs> for the invitation. But I'd like for you to, to read with me this scripture. You know, 
I think everyone can see where it is. Okay, so this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, nor the strong man boast of his strength, nor the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. In these I delight, declares the Lord. Now we offer an invitation and you know, to ask for prayers, to uh, help us or to help others, uh, to, you know, the, the support of this wonderful congregation, or to put Christ on in baptism and to enter into the best life that there is possible. And if you need to come forward, please do as we stand and sing.